Well, this morning we're going to continue looking at the words and the writings of a man named James. You remember last Sunday morning, if you were here, we looked at James' words, warning us, preparing us, readying us for the truth that we will face trials. But as I continued to read in the letter of James, I found some very interesting words about sin. And I want us this morning to look into his words and see how sin works. And you know, that's, man, you think, well, that's kind of a depressing thing. No, it's not, because you see, James shows us how sin works, but then he gives us a very clear reminder and message that God saves. And I I think every time we talk about sin, we need to remind ourselves that God saves. But talking about sin is tough. We don't like to admit we're sinners. None of us like to admit that we do things wrong. We we are those other people, I tell you what. And, and you know, we like to shift blame, too. I, I grew up in a house with four kids. I was the youngest. I got blamed for everything. But we played the blame game. Y'all ever play the blame game? That's where you do something and it's wrong, and whenever it comes to light, wasn't me, it was them. We tend to do that. That's how sin works in our lives. It just seems like it gets started so, so little, but then it grows. You know, several years ago, I had... I had a mouse problem at my house. Any of y'all ever have a mouse problem? I'll take mice over rats any day. But we had a little mouse problem. And I'm not an exterminator. So I wasn't really sure, you know, what's the best way to get rid of mice. Now, personally, I like those snap traps, you know. I, I know they're inhumane. But, you know, I would prefer to hear, than hear, on a sticky trap. It's me. I got, I started doing a little research, got online, and tried to figure out how's the best way to get rid of mice, and started reading about rat and mouse poison, decon. I like the D, death. That's what the D has got to stand for, death. And I thought, how's this stuff work? Here's what I read. You get some decon, it is 99% rodent food. Stuff they love. But into that, they mix 1% of a poisonous chemical. Because it is such a small percentage, you know what? This mouse may eat on this stuff for three or four days and thinks he's got a great deal going. Before all of a sudden, one morning he wakes up and he didn't feel so good. Got a little stomach ache going on. And he has no idea what happened to him. That's why you can leave that stuff out there and you may get three, four, five, a dozen mice, depending on what your problem is. That's kind of how sin works. It's always camouflaged. It's disguised in stuff that looks good to us. That's how sin works. 
I want to see, I want you to see with me how James described it. Now, if you've got your Bible open, your app open to, to James chapter 1, I want you to find verse 13. We're going to start reading there together. We're going to read down through verse 18. So if you've got your Bible open there, if you can, well, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of our Heavenly Father as we read together from His inspired Holy Word this morning. James chapter 1, beginning at verse 13. Here's what James says. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning I ask you to bless the reading of your word. I pray that as we spend these few moments together that we have, that you would speak to our hearts your truth. Help us to understand that we are fallen people and that we have a very real enemy who seeks to destroy us. But before we sink into the pits of despair and despondency, Father, I pray that you would remind us that we have a Savior and that you would turn our eyes upon him this morning that we might understand the goodness, the sweetness of your salvation. Father, if there are those here who do not know that, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. And if there are those of your children who in their struggles have forgotten, Father, I pray that today you would remind us how great our God truly is. Teach us your truth. Speak to our hearts. For we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. I hope you won't take this too personally this morning, but we're kind of like mice and rats. You decide which you might be. When I say that, what I mean is we're killed by our own desires. It's our own wants that take us to the place where we don't need to go. It's our own desires that lead to our demise. These verses that we just read explain that it's not God who entices us to sin. In fact, it's our own nature. It's who we are on the inside. It's our fallen humanity. And thankfully, God is gracious enough that he is at work in our lives and in our world to change and transform our nature. That's what James wants us to get. I just want us to look at these verses, kind of take them apart a little bit, and try to gain some understanding about this. Let's start off 
this morning by reminding ourselves of what James started with. And it's this simple truth that God does not draw us toward sin. He does not tempt us. He does not entice us. He does not pull us. In, in James chapter 1, verse 2, last week when we looked at it, it said that trials are inevitable. Well, here in verse 13, you also find in the words of James that temptation is inevitable. Did you see how verse 13 started? He didn't say if you're tempted. No, he said when tempted, it's going to happen. It's coming at you. You will experience temptation in this life. When we're tempted, when we sin, our, our greater temptation is then to shift the blame. We want to push it off. It's human nature. And it is a pattern, it is a method of operation that is as old as humanity himself. Hey, what do you mean? If you've got your Bible, if you want to, put your finger there in James and go back to Genesis. And look at chapter 3 with me for a moment. In Genesis chapter 3, y'all remember Genesis chapter 3, I hope we're still in the Garden of Eden. But a serpent has showed up, and he has messed things all up. And if you pick up the reading at verse 8, here's what it says. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he walked in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man. He called out to Adam, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Now, if you've raised children, this rings very familiar, doesn't it? Verse 11, and he said, who told you you were naked? This is where Adam and Eve looked at each other and said, oops, said the wrong thing. And then God confronted them with their reality. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And here's the blame game. The man said, the woman you put here. You know, at that point, I think you kind of have to stop and say, wait a minute. Am I trying to blame God for this? So let's go ahead and get off of God and let's get back to the woman. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent. Have you noticed a pattern here yet? It wasn't me, it was her. It wasn't me, it was the snake. <laughs> this is the original pass the buck routine. And you know what? We still do it today. People still do it all the time. Listen, Proverbs 19.3 says this, A man's own folly ruins his life. Now, we can all agree with that. But then it says this, Yet his heart rages against God. A man's folly ruins his own life. We do it to ourselves, and yet his heart rages against God. It's kind of like, God, why did you do this to me? 
In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is teaching a Sermon on the Mount, verses 3 through 5. He, he makes this point. He, he says, look, it's more common for you to look at the speck in your neighbor's eye than it is to see the beam or the log that's in your own eye. It's easy for us to judge others, but it's very hard, it's very difficult for us to judge ourselves. We don't want to acknowledge our sin. But James says, don't make a mistake here. Be sure you get this. God is never the source of your temptation. Never. When you're tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. God cannot be tempted. Therefore, he does not tempt anyone to evil. In fact, Paul said over in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, he said this, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, see, it's going to happen. When you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. God will give you a way of escape. It doesn't mean he doesn't allow testing, doesn't allow trials, doesn't allow temptation, but it means he does not entice us. He does not tempt us. When we pull, feel like we're being pulled toward sin, when we feel like we're being pulled toward actions or attitudes or words of rebellion against God in our lives, when, when we feel ourselves wanting to shake our fist into the heavens and say, it's your fault, God, you made me like this. We need to be reminded. No, God does not tempt us. The problem is that our nature makes sin appealing. Just like a mouse or a rat. We think, you know, it tastes good, it looks good, it smells good. There's really not that much bad in it. So we get just a little bit. But you know one of the things I read about that poison? It creates a craving in the mind of the rodent. Once they taste it, they think, just a little bit more. It's kind of like a bag of Lay's potato chips. <laughs> you can't eat just one. I know that it's a silly commercial and it's ancient, but I dare you, try to eat one potato chip and walk away from the bag. It doesn't work. Look at this. You don't get a temple like this by eating one chip and walking away. See, our minds aren't that different from the mind of that mouse or that rat. Just a little bit. And then, you know, after I've had just a little bit, I'll quit. <laughs> Man, if I had a buck for every guy or gal who has come through my office in trouble and told me, you know, I thought, I just, and then I'd quit. It doesn't work. It gets its claws into us. It creates a longing, a craving, a desire in us. Our, our nature takes over. Understand, my friend, temptation comes from within us. Look at what James says. Got your Bible? Look at it. Go back with me, verses 14 and 15. 
Each one is tempted when? By his own evil desire. He is dragged away and enticed. Now, I want you to, if, if you're a marker person, if you're a note person, here, here's where you need to get yourself locked in. Those words, dragged away, enticed. These are words that are used in description of hunting or fishing. It's talking about baiting something, luring something. You see, if you use something that looks good, smells good, resembles something that tastes good, it's easy to lure something to its death. And that's how our enemy works in our lives as well. He is working to drag us away, to draw us away, to get us to, to pursue the very thing that is going to destroy us. Uh, please, please don't forget this. Temptation always wears a mask. Temptation always wears a mask. It looks good. But when the mask comes off, it's deadly. I could sit here and get into all kinds of examples, and y'all could sit there and say, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can't believe people do that. But you know what? If I did that and I kept going long enough, before long you're going to blow up. I can't believe he's talking about that because sooner or later I'm going to get on your feet. Because all of us have this nature, and all of us have baits, lures, to which we are susceptible. And it's not the same for each one. We're all individuals. You see, the, the things that tempt you may not tempt the person sitting next to you. And the things that tempt them may not tempt you. And so we have to not worry about everybody else, but worry about ourselves. What is it that entices me? What is it that tries to, to drag me away outside of God's will, outside of God's purpose? So, you know, I'm saved. I, I've been redeemed. I don't have to worry about it. Listen, just because you've been saved, praise God for it. Because you are redeemed, rejoice in that. But if you think that makes you perfect and sinless, I don't even have a word I can use for you without getting in trouble. Folks, it's foolish. There is an old man inside of us, an old woman inside of us, who still longs for and desires. Do you see that word, desire? That word even has its own sound, doesn't it? Dragged away, enticed, desire. Has its own sound. It sounds like trouble. And we all have desire inside of us. That's our nature. That's what gets us into trouble. What happens? Well, look at what James said. Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away, enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Man, if I stopped right there, this would be such a sad message. But James didn't stop there. 
He says in verse 16, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Don't let somebody tell you God made them this way. Don't let somebody tell you God is tempting them. Don't let somebody lead you to believe those lies that God is the one who's responsible for their actions, for their sins, for their wrongdoing. Don't be deceived, brothers. God is working to change our nature. God is at work trying to make us into what he wants us to be, what he created us to be. James goes on and and lays this out for us. Listen, we have been and we are still the problem. Hear me well. The source of your problems is not God or the way he made you. The source of your problem is your own fallen nature. Apart from Christ, we're not wise enough to see or to sense this poison of sin that's working in or around our lives. Truth be told, if we could see it, we probably still would rebel against God and try to to just sample a little bit of it, thinking, oh, a little bit won't hurt me. If I just dab my toe in it, if I just get a little taste, it's human nature. We love what we should hate. We hate what we should love, but God is in the business of changing our nature, restoring our desires to that which is right and holy. And in His goodness, He offers us hope and forgiveness and life. How do you know that? James said so. Every good And perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father who chose, get this, who chose to give us birth through the word of truth. What's the word of truth? Who is the word of truth? Jesus. The Father has chosen to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. God is the creator of the good gift of creation. And God is the creator of the good gift of the new creation. Paul says if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You may not have recognized it before. You may have never acknowledged this before, but let me tell you the truth this morning. And I want you to listen. If you haven't heard anything else I've said, please hear what I'm about to tell you right now. God has given us His Son, Jesus Christ, to rescue mankind from eternal spiritual death. That's the most important thing I can tell you today. I love verse 18. You know how you can read a passage of Scripture and miss something? This is one of those verses I've read, I don't know how many times, but I don't know that I ever saw how closely it was connected to everything that preceded it. Talking about our nature, our fallenness, our sin, and what it does in our lives, and then it tells us God chose to give us birth through the Word of Truth. He chose to change our nature. He chose to cleanse us, to redeem us, to buy us back from sin into fellowship with himself. He extends his mercy and his grace. He provides the atoning sacrifice through his son. He pays the redemptive price at the cross with Jesus Christ. And he takes what's old and he makes it new. 
He changes our desires. He overturns our death sentence. Until we drink from the cup of grace, we're going to be thirsty for poison. Just how it is. Until we let the grace of Jesus Christ begin to reign in our hearts and our lives, we are going to desire what the world offers. And it's wrong. It's sinful. It's death. But thankfully, God has redeemed us. He, he has redeemed us from that insatiable hunger that will inevitably lead to our own destruction. We're still tempted. We're still tempted, but he always shows us a path around that temptation if we're willing to look for it and listen to his voice. And it, we tend to do that the more we walk with him because sin begins to lose its luster. These verses are simply a call to flee the lure of sin. And a call to celebrate the new life that's offered through Jesus Christ. Have you experienced that new life? Listen, if you have, you ought to be rejoicing in that every day. If you have, you ought to be telling other people about that. Because, listen, it's a simple thing. I was a sinner. I still am. But now I am a forgiven sinner. God in His grace has offered me forgiveness and He has mercifully granted me new life and He has taken me from walking in darkness and walking as a dead man and He has made me alive, brought me into the light and given me the promise of eternity in His presence. That's what happens when you call on Jesus. Have you done that? Man, if you have, rejoice in it. Put a smile on your face for crying out loud. You ought to be happy in Jesus. There is, the, listen, the world can do anything it wants to you. But if you belong to Christ, you don't have to worry about it. You know what eternity holds and you know who holds you for eternity. But if you don't know that this morning, I want you to know something. This God I'm talking about, he loves you. He loves you with a love you cannot begin to understand until you experience it. And he has a plan for your life. He wants to know you and he wants you to know him. But the only way that that can happen is when you come to him through his son, Jesus Christ. See, he is holy and just and perfect and we're not. We're all sinners like I told these children down here this morning. The only way that our sinfulness can be welcomed into the presence of that holy, just, righteous God is whenever that sin is washed away by the shed blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect, sinless life, took our sin to the cross, and paid our debt. And today, He's ready to pay that debt for you. Would you call on Him? Would you confess your sin, ask His forgiveness? Would you turn from your sin and say, I'm going to chase after Him. I, I want to know this Jesus. I want to know this God. I'm going to pursue Him and walk in His ways and let Him change my nature. He'll do it. He's waiting on you.
So you decide. Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to stand together and sing a song of, of commitment. Not because I want to make the service longer or anything like that, just because I want to give you the opportunity to respond to the Word of God, to the, to the voice of God. It may be that you've been sitting here listening and, and, and something that's been said, something that's been read has just made something wake up in your heart. And you, you say, man, that's where I'm at. That's, that's what I need. This is, this is why I'm here today. If that happened in your life, in your heart, in your mind this morning, I want you to know something. That's not me twisting your arm. That's the Spirit of God speaking to you calling you. He, he, he does it to me on a regular basis. He may be doing it to you this morning. Do you need a Savior? In a moment when we stand and begin to sing, would you come and take me by the hand? I will, won't embarrass you or put you on the spot, but we do want to share with you from God's Word how you can become a new creation in Jesus Christ. We'll help you any way we can. Brothers and sisters in Christ, are you toying around with the poison? Get away from there. He gives you an avenue of escape. Take it. Get away from that which will destroy you. And walk alongside that one who has made you a new creation. Right next to Jesus is the safest place you can be. What's God speaking into your heart? I would just ask you, hear his voice, be obedient. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. A word that speaks to the condition of each one of us. A word that points out who we are, even though we try to deny it. What we do, even though we say we don't. Whose fault it is, even though we try to pass the buck. Your word is true. It is undeniable. It is right. Knowing that in my heart, I know that when it tells me that there is a Savior, that there is forgiveness, that there is eternal life, that there is hope, I know that it is so. And so today, as you offer it, we offer it. Father, I pray for us in this room. If there's someone here who doesn't know you, draw them to yourself. If there are those who are they've let the relationship stagnate they they've gone the wrong direction they've made bad decisions now they're dealing with consequences i pray father draw them back home welcome them back into your fellowship father for the wounded and hurting for the struggling those needing strength i pray that you extend it Lord, teach us this morning how to trust you, to walk in your way, and know that we'll never be alone. And as you move and work in our hearts and lives, we're going to give you the praise and the glory for it. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.